What's up, guys? This is Alfonso from Heartsick, hanging out here, and you're listening to the Scott Discussion right now. And if you learned everything you wanted to know about silence by tipping your bartender... Then you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion. I am Joe, that is Dan, and we're talking about Glassjaw with Alfonso from Heartsick. Before we get into that conversation, I want to take the time to say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, you can find everything Discography Discussion at DiscussMetal.com. We are on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, so if you have an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, you have no excuse. Ask it to play the latest episode of the Discography Discussion podcast, and it will. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at DiscussMetal. Be sure to like favorite and subscribe it really helps us out and it lets us know you're listening leave us a five-star review anywhere you listen to us it's all about algorithms as dan says every week and one thing that helps us get recommended to other listeners who listen to heavy metal podcasts is if you leave us a five-star review and if you don't think we deserve a five-star review leave us the review you think we deserve we really appreciate it and we will read it on the show I'm done talking. Let's get to Alfonso and Glassjaw. Oh, Glassjaw is amazing, man. I mean, talk about a band that, like, I mean, me personally, you know, that band, I think, revolutionized what, like, the new sound of, like, metalcore could be. You know, you had bands, like, I mean, you had bands before them, obviously, like Poison the Well and shit, but... There was just something about Glassjaw that was way more raw, you know? Like, you hadn't heard something like that before. Oh, yeah, for sure. Glassjaw, man, just absolutely um, blew my mind back in the early 2000s. Because, I mean, I came off of I came off of shit like Corn and Slipknot into Glassjaw. And it was like a totally, despite despite what John will tell you about the first album, that, that album was a huge experience for me. If you want to talk about an album that I love the way it sounds. Looking back on the lyrics now, it's a little cringeworthy, but... No, you know, like, it's the same for me, man. Like, I I will never forget this. Like, <laughs> you're going to find out a lot, a lot about me right now. <laughs> so I was um, in high school. I was a cheerleader, and I was captain of my cheerleading squad. <laughs> nice. I know it sounds ridiculous, but it was really fun. And I was part of a... Uh, I was part, like, of a traveling cheer camp that, that, that would teach cheerleading... Uh, teams all over the United States and I was training I was doing my training before leaving to teach in uh in Pittsburgh and I was in Pittsburgh I'll never forget this and White Pony had just come out during that time as well and then I had bought White Pony for the Deftones which is like my all-time favorite band and then I was walking down the street and I saw at a record store. So I walk into the record store and the record store, I was looking at the Deftone section and Glassjaw was like in that area too. And it said for fans of the Deftones. And then there was a flyer in the store and I was like Deftones with Glassjaw, something else or whatever, playing some venue there. And I was like, fuck it, man. Like, sounds like I'd like this. And I picked up the record. I'd never heard the band before. I never knew who they were. And I put on that record and the first song, dude, like, I, I, I'm so bad with song names, but like the first song on that record, I was just like, what in the fuck is this? And it just blew my mind because like you, I mean, I was up until then, I was coming up on bands like Korn. I mean, I was, you know, the first metal bands I heard were like Madball and 
sick of it all and shit like that like i was really into hardcore but i really got into like the whole kind of groove and new metal stuff so corn was something i was really listening to so listening to jazz like glass jaw was just like this is insane dude like this it just blew my mind man like i mean like you know like you had mentioned like lyrically you know it's a little but honestly dude i mean i was just listening to the record on this drive out here to this show and i don't know man i think there's like to me that record lyrically is still awesome because it's still raw and and like and and emotional you know even though you could tell the guy was like you know daryl was probably like 19 or some shit right right what kind of person are you when you're 19 you know yeah Uh exactly but that but i think that's what made it man like that that literal and like that like anger and that angst in that dude like he just didn't give a fuck in those lyrics and i thought that to me that's awesome and i think that you know nowadays that's something that's really missing because you don't have a lot of artists that are doing that now you know everybody sort of wants to please whatever crowd and that record was just like nah you know i think we were still in the stages of like make what you want to make lyrically and it was just awesome you know right and then the lyrics and the passion and the vocals were great but then the music itself was like a whole different breed because like there were chord changes and shit going on that i just couldn't like my mind couldn't really wrap my head around you know like because this is before i'm listening to shit like you know like coalesque or or botch and you know all those crazy bands which they obviously you know were were out around the same time yeah yeah and so like i had no idea you know if it wasn't for glass show i wouldn't be listening to those bands exactly And, and that was the thing man it's like like listening to that record like my band so heartsick once a year we do like a covers show you know and for the last couple of years we've gotten stuck on doing the deftones because we know them really well and people really like that but we've always like we did one year we did poison the well another year we did weezer and stuff but one band that we're always talking about like yo we need to cover this is glass shop but then you listen to the record and you're like there's no fucking way dude like <laughs> don't the the playing in that is insane like immaculate like you need as a musician if you listen to that record the drums are impossible like your drummer's got to be an animal and then like the bass lines are ridiculous all the guitar intricacies that they're doing like how they layered the guitars and like the chords they're using are a bunch of jazz chords dude it's it's hard man like it's a really 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 hard record to play you know yeah so like i agree with you because until then you weren't really listening you didn't have that you know you didn't like what was popular was like bands like corn and shit where it's just like bar chords and power chords and you know barely any solos or anything and here comes glass shots like no nah, fuck all that we're gonna do all these crazy jazz chords and then add in all these like single noted like arpeggiated like notes with a bunch of delay but dude it was crazy and it still is it really is do you think they put a lot of thought into it or was it like a mars volta situation where they were just talented musicians hanging out together and that's what we got i you know like i don't know that that's a really good question that's an interesting question i think that i think that it's you know listening to that record i think that it's both i think knowing glass john now and how they've developed their sound and their records and knowing that beck is the guy basically behind all the music you know you could definitely see that i'm sure that he had some sort of vision and it was sort of somewhat purposely done but at the same time i feel like when you had a guy like ross robinson manning that project the more chaos that he could create 
with that band the better so i think it was i think it was a mixture of like yeah let's do this purposely but also like how chaotic can we make this because it feels so chaotic emotionally you know so i think that it, you know it kind of ebb and flow ebb and flows and kind of pulls and contrast with those things so i think that's a really good question but from my perspective i think it'd be a little of both man with someone like ross robinson behind you know the production of that i definitely think that with him it was like let's make it more chaotic and then with beck it's like well i have all these cool little ideas that i want to do this here so i think it's could be a little of both yeah and like one of the things people criticize the most with Glassjaw is Daryl's vocals, but it's one of those things where when I, the more I listen to it, the more I'm like, I can't think of a way that he could have done any better than he did in the sense that because the songs were so chaotic and so intense, he kind of just weaves in and around everything or, or on top of it in such a way to try to match the intensity of the music. And like, I love the way Daryl's voice sounds, but, uh, you know, whenever I would show it to my friends and stuff, they'd be like, what, you know, what the fuck is this? You know, but like it definitely, uh, I, I don't think anybody was really singing with that type of passion at the time and still having to weave his way. Cause like, I'm, you know, a vocalist myself and it's really hard sometimes when somebody hands you a complicated piece of music, you're like, well, shit, how the fuck am I supposed to sing over that? You know? And it's, uh, you know, like what he ended up doing ended up becoming his signature sound. Dude, I, I, I agree 100%, man. Like, t- to me, what, at the end of the day, as a vocalist, at the end of the day, what really matters isn't, you know, isn't whether you're a good quote-unquote singer or not. It's how you can interpret that emotion into your physical voice and move people. And if you look at it from that aspect, Daryl Palumbo is a master of that, 100%. Like, just like Jonathan Davis is. I mean, like, you know, a lot of these guys that are in these sort of, like, now legend bands and, like, pioneering bands, the vocalists are the people who really, like, that's where people latch onto the most. And up until a band like Horn and, like, Glassjaw and stuff, you had everybody that wanted to be Eddie Vedder or Kurt Cobain because... These were like tones that sounded still sort of like, you know, edgy, but were still safe, I think. And and it, a, a singer like Daryl goes over people's heads when a record like that comes out because it's so far advanced to what anybody else is doing. People just can't hear it. Like people don't, I think that sometimes people are just so narrow-minded as, as listeners in music that and then on top of the fact that you have an industry that's made literally a living on making everybody sound the same and when you have bands like corn and glassjaw and things of that nature it totally blows all those sort of like stereotypes out of the water you're like yo what the fuck is this and and a guy like daryl man like like you said that record would not be that record if it didn't have daryl's voice and doing what he's doing in that whole record like that dude is pouring his heart out on that record if he it doesn't matter if he doesn't feel that way now about it or whatever and when ape those mill came out it was like sort of his apology and stuff and the voice was a little bit different but but again it shaped his sound like you know who daryl palumbo is if you it's like you know who chino is on any record like you just know those voices 
And I think that you're right, dude. Like listening to that record, it could not have been anybody else. It would not be the iconic record it is if it was anyone else. Period. You know, the voice to me, whether you're a good singer, doesn't matter. It's can you as a vocalist push that emotion and make other people feel it through that music and to me that shit's hard as hell coming from someone who sings in a band like who who makes records i mean that shit's impossible and Derek, on that record daryl just did it like like nothing you know i felt like he it was just there you know? some of it sounded first take you know like some of it just, yeah like like he just went in there you know was just like <laughs> yeah. fuck it and just laid it all down and maybe that's not what happened but that's what it sounds like and uh like because especially like that first song where like he's just like and like he's saying a bunch of shit you can't even understand him but like you could still feel it like it's not a deal breaker like any other album you'd listen to and be like the fuck's going on here this dude's clearly like fucked up somewhere vocally like he, he's lost yeah. in the song or but like it doesn't matter at one point it almost sounds like he picks up a mic stand and snaps it <laughs> or something like there's a note in that song yeah. there's like a notable you hear something actually physically snap Breaking on there down. yeah and it's just like holy shit like i what am i in for you know yep. and, and that and that's the thing man like it's those moments on a record like that that really make a record that much more awesome you know i think that when you listen to a record that has that sort of emotion it just makes that much more personal and it makes that much more you know enthralling because you you feel it you know i think like you know as as someone who loves heavy music and loves rock and roll the idea that rock and roll is should be safe or should somehow have some sort of safe barrier space in the music this doesn't make any sense and and that record just goes to prove that there was nothing safe about that like like you said like the first 30 seconds of that song are a bunch of gibberish like you can barely hear what the dude's saying and you're just like holy shit but the emotion that he puts into those 30 seconds of like you know unaudible lyrics you're like yeah. dude yes you know and i have searched high and low to see what what he says in, in those parts like what he's like ah, and i'm like i don't think anybody can actually get it like i don't think anybody's actually figured it out yeah you know? what's in the lyric book is like almost like all on, on most of the songs so different than what's actually laid down on tape it's oh, like yeah you know, he, he just like went in there and just did it, and that's where I got my theory that some of it had to have been first take. Like he just improvised some parts, threw them in, you know, because it just upped the intensity. And you know, I would say I'm not sure if that was Daryl or if it was Ross pushing Daryl. Um, yep. I think it was probably both. You know, I mean, with Ross Robinson, I keep talking about hearing that snap on the record. That could have been Ross throwing shit at Daryl. You know what I mean? Like who knows? Yep. You know, <laughs> like. It, that dude was crazy to work with anyway um from what i've heard of all the bands that he's uh that he's produced you know and uh but yeah that record is just is just guttural and so go for the throat and uh like i said it's definitely a record that i love the way it sounds like there's there's parts on there that he does like as a vocalist makes my throat hurt just thinking about like oh dude like absolutely how he'll go like he'll be singing like he'll he'll hold a note out for like 15 20 seconds and then end it with like this guttural like shriek and you're just like there's not enough air in my lungs for that 
Like yep. it just wouldn't. It just doesn't happen. There's only a couple of other vocalists I can think of that can scream that long, and or sing that long with no break or anything. And like it's not cut and pasted together like it is on records now. Like that was all done, just like one shot. And I and I think that's that's another awesome part about that record. I think that's just another awesome part to me about like that whole sort of era of music in metal and hardcore and stuff is like the idea that they were still sort of banking on one take let's do it just get it all out of the way like let's see what happens and then you have a guy like ross robinson that you know as a musician i'm sure that some of those guys were probably like no no, no we fucked that up and ross is like no this is perfect because even though it doesn't sound great it has your emotion kind of thing to me that was just like awesome you know yeah yeah and that was that was everything i mean pure emotion to jump back on the whole lyrics thing like i said it's kind of hard now you know with the state of the world now we're like you're able to you know you like you can't go on a record and like say some of that shit you know like it's just um almost too almost too much so it's definitely oh, yeah. one of those weird cases where like i love the way that it sounds but and i love the emotion i love the way the music itself makes me feel like with the vocals included and everything but whenever I look at it lyrically, I'm like, oh, man, because <laughs> I got, you know, I got two daughters and I got, you know, like I have a whole different perspective on things. Whereas, sure. you know, when I was a kid, I was like, fuck, yeah, you know, Daryl for life, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. <laughs> I, you know, and it like like you're right, man. It's like we live in a different time and we live in like a different sort of mindset and mentality these days with that. But at the same time, when that record came out, I think it was like exactly what sort of the metal community and, you know, heavy music in general needed. Because up until then, you know, you had mostly all the songs, you know, so you had Korn making everything sort of, you know, they kind of built up back that like, you know, my family life sucked and like I got picked on as a kid or whatever like that kind of lyrics you know where everybody started copying that but then you know here comes Glassjaw, here comes daryl with these lyrics you know that reading reading them back now in today's society and how the world is becoming and and becoming you know for better or for worse a lot more pc and stuff they're pretty fucking misogynistic oh when yeah you listen to the to the record and you listen to how he say, says it it's not it, it doesn't have this misogynistic like feel more than it has like a dude that's just been so brutally hurt emotionally by some female that he's just letting out all his frustrations you know it's not like it's not like some dude that's just like super cocky and like making all these misogynistic you know words to to fit the music it's really this you you can you can hear it. It's like this scrawny little dude who put invested all his emotion and all his time and all his heart into this particular woman, and she just tore it out, and he just let it bear on that record, you know. And to me, that was awesome. And, you know, and it goes back to like you know I was talking about corn and stuff. Jonathan Davis did the same thing, but about his like his childhood, you know. So to me, lyrically, that record till this day still makes a lot of sense and is still a great sort of read because 
you know, we were all like, you know, we were all 19, we were all 18, we were all 20. We've all, we were all in love or thought that we were in love at that, at that time and felt all those same feelings. But, you know, Daryl was the guy with the, with the balls to just come out and say, fuck it, I'm going to write about this. And I'm going to write about it in the most sincere way. If it doesn't make people happy, then I don't care. If it pisses people off, I don't care. And to me, that's awesome because that's really what rock and roll should be and what metal should be. It should be those things, you know, it shouldn't be pretty. It shouldn't, it, never, it was never meant to be, you know, Black Sabbath, you know, War Pigs, you know, you have these songs and it's like, the lyrics are dark, man. They're they're dark and they're, and they're heavy, but they're delivered in such a way with the notes being in major chords that it's like, it didn't feel that dark right you know yeah and this record i mean well what was funny too i used to always tell people because like my wife is a huge glass jaw hater uh for obvious (laughs) reasons obvious reasons you know clearly Uh, yeah yeah like and she's not wrong at all you know but it's one of those uh one of the things that she she's like it sounds like this guy's emotions are bigger than he is you know and i was like well that's pretty accurate i mean he's you know Daryl's not a huge dude, you know, <laughs> like no, he, he's a super scrawny guy. So with that, all that being said about the uh, first record, and th- this is what we do on discography discussion. We take a record or we take a band. We go through all their records with glass jaw. It's easy. Cause there's only three. It gets a little bit more complicated when we start talking about like bands that have like 10 plus albums out. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> no, we don't have enough time for that tonight, but you know, uh, you know, maybe maybe someday someday soon we'll we'll get a we'll get you on for a bigger band or whether it has oh, a bigger so cool. uh, you know bigger discography. But uh, what was interesting to me is how crazy and passionate that first record, everything you wanted to know about Silence, that's a mouthful. Um, as big as that record was, <laughs> whenever we moved into the follow up, um, Worship and Tribute, yep. that's when that's when shit started getting real interesting. That I mean, like. I really think that that record separated like the the true down to the nitty gritty Glassjaw fans and like the Fairweather fans are like, oh, another heavy band that's supposed to be new metal, you know? Like right. that record really defined, in my opinion, I think that record really defined their sound. Um, and I think that lyrically, Daryl showed a lot of growth and showed a lot of humility. If you li- if you read the lyrics on that record, you're like, damn, dude, like this is an apology record. This dude's like, you've got record number one where he's just like, I fucking hate this, whatever. And this new record is like, man, like, let's dial it back. Let's let's think about the emotions that I put out on that first record and think about where do they write emotions to put out and how do I feel about that time now? You know, the record starts heavy. You know, like you 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 drop into that oh, yeah, first absolutely. song. And it's like, oh, shit, okay, you're thinking going in, like, I'm going to get, you know, just fucking pummeled from beginning to end. And then, you know, you kick into the second track, and it's still fast, still aggressive. It's like they don't want to let the cat out of the bag right away that this is going to be a different record. (laughs) And then then it just blasts, and he's like, Mr. Shiver. And then, like, from there, you start realizing that this is going to be Daryl's, like, clean vocal you know debut you know because like on the first record he sang but it was like more just like choruses and stuff you know on this on this record it was like no i'm gonna take the i'm gonna take the reins and i'm gonna put myself out there and be vulnerable for the first time like really vulnerable because like 
screaming and, and being angry is vulnerable in its own way, but it still comes across as tough guy enough for it not to seem vulnerable. Whereas yep. on this record, he just he just basically was like, no, this is this is me. This is where I'm going. And, uh, you know, like you said, it's, it was divisive, I think, for fans because, you know, there's a lot of guys, and myself included on certain bands, I'm like, dude, if it's not heavy, I'm not listening to it, you know? No, and, and I, I agree with that 100%. You know, it was it was that record, like, you got in for a couple of songs, you're like, all right, here we go, round two, you know, yeah. And then, like, then they hit you with, like, Aptos Mill and shit, and you're like, wait, what? Right. <laughs> What's going on here? But not only lyrically and vocally do you hear the evolution of Daryl, you know, in, in not only his vocal style, but in his age. You, you can tell that now he's older, he's matured, you know, he's obviously dealt with some life experiences from being on tour in his band, but you also hear more of the development of the band on a musical level. On the first record, you could tell that the band is obviously very technical band. They can play, but you know some of the compositions on you know on worship and tribute are so so jazz influenced and have so many like bluesy types of parts here like yo these dudes can actually play like the baseline in ape those mill is fucking awesome dude and it and it runs so well with all the arpeggiated and like single notes that are going on in between all of that and the drum beat it's somewhat simple but like you know if you listen to that and you count it you're like dude like there's a lot going on here musically i think the band really brought out their their talent and their musicianship in this record to me that's what stood out the most to me on Aptos, you know on that song particularly but on the record and worship and tribute as a whole was how the band really like came out of that shell like with you know it was like we are not just a New York hardcore, post-hardcore band. There's more to us than this, you know? Yeah, and that really starts coming out on the B side of the record as well. Yep. I mean, because you've got, you've got the first the first uh, part of the record is pretty front-loaded. You know, you've got Tip Your Bartender, which is a heavy yep. song. Um, you know, really, like, a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of their more aggressive shit is on the first half of this record. And then you start getting into shit like Radio Cambodia, you know, and Trailer Park Jesus, which are just, I mean, incredible compositions in their own right. And they're a little bit more chill. Like, oh, it's yeah. it's weird because, like, I never, you know, would have thought listening to their first record at any point that I'm going to feel good listening to Glassjaw. You know, I'm not, I never thought I'd be able to chill to Glassjaw. And it's like, and- no, man, th- these guys have got me covered. You know, like, and as a metal fan, it's easy to be like, well, you know, they were, obvi- you know, with Radio Cambodia and uh, Cosmot- Cosmopolitan Blood Loss, they were just trying to get a single or whatever, you know, and, and just and just kind of shit on it. But at the same time, it's like, no, even if this was still a single, it's an incredible single. It's going to get people into the band that wouldn't have wouldn't have before. Exactly. And, you know, and, and that's and that's like the biggest part, like, you know, how unfortunately some some fans are so very much dismissive of that when it's like you know as a musician no matter what genre you play your whole goal is to try and reach as many people as possible now granted the style of music that you play is going to play some role in how far you can get in that 
you know, but there's, it doesn't mean that you need to compromise who you are as a band and as an artist to be able to reach that many people. And I think that, that, that record, you know, Worship and Tribute was, you know, was a testament you know, no pun intended, because you got a testament shirt on. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but a true testament into what what a hardcore, post-hardcore metal band could do and what they could be. You know, you have, like you said, you have these tip your bartender. You know, that's coming out, and you're like, yo, these guys are ferocious. You know, or you listen to you know to the first record and you know when two eights whatever i can't i remember so bad with song names but you know you listen to those songs and then you listen to a song like Aptos mill or cosmopolitan blood loss cosmopolitan blood loss and things like that and you're like there's so much more underneath that that you can tell that it, it, it didn't come off as contrived right it didn't no. it's not like it was you know I hate to say it, but it's not like it was like a Sugar Ray, where like they put out that one singer, like whoa, and then the next record was like all acoustic songs. The mainstream fans, yeah, they're gonna dig a track like that, you know. And there's nothing wrong with that because it's still written in the same vein as the other songs on the album. So it's not like one of those bait and switch scenarios that if you show up just for Cosmopolitan Blood Loss that you're just going to like shit on the rest of the record, you know, because it doesn't sound the same. And no. so it, they, they did a single. It, it, here's the thing. It's not a, a, a single. It's a glass jaw single. And there's, there's a distinction there because Absolutely. you're, you know, you're still getting the full thing. I'm actually really surprised that radio Cambodia didn't get, uh, didn't get released as a single. Cause I don't know how well this record did. I didn't really look that up before, but I mean, for me, it was it was huge, and I assume it being on Warner Brothers, it had Warner Brothers, it had to have been fairly successful, especially with a little bit more melodic sound and a little bit less misogynist lyrics, you know? Oh no, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that the record did did well for them. I think that it did better than their first one because it was more accessible, but also because obviously the band finally got some notoriety. But I think what ended up hurting that record the most was the fact that. You then find out that, and during this time period, you find out that Daryl has Crohn's disease, and they keep and they keep canceling shows. Right, because that's a, that's a major and, problem. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's what hurt that record in the long run, as it progressed. You know, because you know you, each record cycle is like you put out a record, and you got to tour on that bad boy, and and just bring it up more and more. And the first record. You know, they were on war tour. They did all this stuff. They were, you know, they were young and vibrant, and it was like boom, boom, boom. So they go back and they do their second record, which, you know, then there was rumblings of they were having problems with Roadrunner because Roadrunner wanted them to do a certain thing because, you know, at that time Roadrunner had all the really big new metal bands. So it was like, no, you have to do this because this is what's hype. And right. Glassaw, you know, with especially with Ross, was like, no, we're not going to do that. So I think that in be in that time there was some sort of thing going on with the record label and the contract, which is how they ended up on I Am Recordings with Ross. I think Ross either helped them get out of their deal with Roadrunner to where they didn't have to put out any more records on Roadrunner, but Roadrunner still sells the record and makes the you know the money off of them. Yeah, but and Ross, in 09, they re-released the first record, like remixed or remastered. It sounds yep, kind of like it, shit now. The original one sounds better, but 
whatever. Exactly. You know, and and that's and that was the thing. I think they got into a whole thing with like with Roadrunner, and that kind of was going on. And then you know they get with Ross and they do Ross's I Am Recordings. They put out Worship and Tribute. People are all excited about it. They really love it. But then it's like you know they got to keep promoting that record but they can't because daryl keeps getting sick you know and i think that that's what really hurt that record sales was the fact that they had all those you know just unfortunate situations going on you know you got a lead singer who has a serious health issue and needs to take care of himself you have this whole like you're fighting with your record label who has millions upon millions of dollars and is basically in control of your career and then you have this one entity that does have a lot of power and sway but isn't going to be able to keep the corporate dogs at bay either you know yeah i mean and that i hate to say it i mean that that pretty much spelled the end of Glassjaw for the really the foreseeable future i mean you put out a record in 2002 and then it's 15 years until we get a new Glassjaw record was it worth the wait i it's totally worth the fucking wait man i mean like I do that new record is it's so far beyond what they did on anything else because I mean before that they did put out records per se but they weren't really records they were like a collection of these like like five song EPs and then you could only get it and that's the thing like that's another thing about Glass that just like blows my mind like can we talk about how fucking phenomenal they are at selling their product like their oh, merch and shit like it's ridiculous like they're just geniuses on this shit so like you said you have a band that has record number one come out on a major record label it does fucking awesome record number two it does well but it starts spelling disaster for the band because of all these outlier problems but the band is still making millions off of their merch they're not even touring and they're still making millions off of their merch and then they put out an EP that you could only get out the shows and people are just selling their shows out left and right and they're only doing it here and there. And in between all that, if you weren't lucky enough to go to one of those shows and get one of those records that they made that'll never be, you know, put on the internet or whatever like that, you're waiting 15 years like we did, you know? And to me, the new record that they put out is is absolutely phenomenal. Again, it's just over so many people's heads because they're so far advanced of what the norm and the cool is that you're just like dude that first song is incredibly heavy but it's a jazz song it's just a heavy ass jazz song like 100% oh yeah I mean and really the same could be said for most of the album like the guitar tone on this record is unlike anything I've ever heard oh yeah like it's just so overpowered like it overpowers Daryl like he's this is the first album where he's not necessarily front and center. He's a part of the yep. band, but he's not like you know so over top of all of it. But it actually works, like because I mean I've, I definitely have had buddies that were longtime Glassjaw fans that are like, man, I don't know about this Material Control record because some people they just want more Daryl and, and nothing else. And I was like, yeah, but this record like really like because we had the first two records to showcase Daryl. I was like, the third record now, man, it's we're showcasing the whole band. You know, yep. they're on they are on front display for the world to see. And I think it's incredible, man. Like, because now I've also aged, you know, like since those records came out and, you know, to hear something like this, you know, now I understand more atmospheric music. I understand, you know, jazzier music and unconventional methods and all that stuff. 
And uh, this record has that in spades. Like, it's just uncompromisingly an atmospheric record. And, I, and I'm okay with it. it. It evokes a feeling in me that lasts throughout the whole album. Yep, absolutely, man. Like, I have a buddy who who's a, just a giant, giant, giant glass job fan. He's in a band in Miami called Falsetta. Um, and, like, I mean, the dude's, like, if you watch the band live or you watch any, like, videos of Falsetta playing, like, my buddy's name is Katova, and... He, I mean, he looks just like Beck, dude. He rocks it out just like Beck. Like, that's his favorite band. And, you know, he called me the day that the record came out. He's like, do you hear the new glass jaw? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, well, what do you think? And I'm like, no, no, no. What do you think? And, you know, same thing. He's like, dude, it's it's just so amazing, man. And I, it's just, it, like, it's one of those things where it's like you have to listen to the whole record, like, two or three times to really get what they're doing, you know? Like, and it's like, and you know, there's people that are like, oh, well, you know, it's not, it's not worship and tribute or it's not, you know, everything you ever want to know about silence. But it's like, come on, man. Like, like the dude's in his forties now. What do you like? Right. Dude, I mean, am, am I as pissed off of a person as I was when yeah. I was 19? Hell no. Yeah, dude. No, of course not. You know, we all grow up. We all find sort of our center and our balance in some way, shape or form. You know, and I mean, the guy's like, he's, he's married, he has a kid, like, there's so much different things going on in his life now. Same with Beck, you know, and they've got so many other projects that they've worked on and all these other things. And they come and they put out this banger of a record, in my opinion, but it's so, it's just, there's so much, I think you said it best, like, there's so much atmosphere in it, man. It's not a one-dimensional record. Like, we can argue that, you know, that everything you ever wanted to know about silence was a very one-dimensional record when it came to sound it was a heavy record oh yeah you know super heavy record and then we can argue that worship and tribute was a two-dimensional record because like you said at the beginning of the record they give you the glass jaw that you know and love from you know everything you want to know about silence but then they flip the script and they start giving you you know the mellowed glass jaw kind of stuff and so that's a two-dimensional record. And then you start getting like the EPs and stuff if you had your hands on them. And they were very in between. They kind of weaved in and out of both of those. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the third record is really a standalone record. It really is. It's not super heavy, but it has its really heavy moments. But it's not super like accessible and palatable, but it has its moment. But the one thing that is a constant theme in that record is atmosphere it is just full and packed of atmosphere there's so much depth in the lyrical content and the in in the compositions of the songs you know and then the guys that they got to play on the songs are fucking amazing musicians i mean you got two of the guys that were in glass cloud and did a bunch of other stuff who are just incredible i think it's like one of the guys is the bass player of saves the day or something like that you know like just just incredible stuff really really incredible yeah for sure i mean like th this record is is everything you'd want it to be i guess unless you're like a one-dimensional fan you only like one thing and that's exactly that's, that's fine you know it's that's fine yeah it is because i mean if you and that's the whole thing we, we say this forever like just because a band does like a new thing or something different than what you're used to doesn't it shouldn't invalidate the band's previous materials for you if you only like everything there is to know about or everything you want to know about silence then 
then fine. You're you're cool, man. Just listen to that record and be be happy with it, you know. And be happy, yep. And uh well, you know, one thing that's interesting about Glassjaw is that, you know, like uh there's another band that I that I'm a huge fan of called Hope's Fall. And uh Oh, dude. They're just like listening to that on the drive here. Dude, they're so like good. sex to me, man. They're amazing. And uh <laughs> but they kind of they kind of had a similar uh go like Glassjaw did in that they they put out music that was super interesting and super different than what everybody else was doing and were actually extremely innovative and one of the things uh when me and john were talking to uh adam from hopes fall uh a little while ago uh one of the things we asked him is like you know does it ever bother you that bands basically came along that took your influence sounded like you took your sound and they took it to the mainstream you know does that ever bother you and i if i ever had a chance to sit down with daryl and talk to him about it that's exactly the question that I would ask him. It's like, you know, how, how do you feel knowing that you were innovative, but you didn't get the, you know, you kind of got the short end of the stick as far as that stuff goes. It's so true about so many bands that invent a style that never get the kind of recognition and the size that they should get. But And it's weird because those bands were always the support bands to the bands that got bigger. And it's just the weirdest thing. It's like, You've got Glassjaw, who pioneered that, you know? And Glassjaw never got as big as a lot of the bands that they were on a label with. They never got as big as Slipknot. They never got as big as, you know, Nickelback or whatever the fuck, you know, that they're all Roadrunner bands. But those bands influenced so many I mean there's so many big bands that are like oh dude Glassjaw like oh my I, I love Glassjaw or like you know like Failure oh my god I, I love Failure but these bands never got that big you know they never got as big as the Avenged Sevenfolds and the Lamb of Gods you know and all those types of things and it's crazy because and I think what it is is that it's just so far above and beyond what people understand that it takes you know a good five years six years for that first record when they're on the third to catch up and now yeah. you have the band doing now you have a band copying that and now it becomes mainstream the market right because i mean that's 2000 that was a little early you know yeah oh absolutely i mean you didn't you didn't really get the whole like quote-unquote screamo you know blow up until like 2005 you know 2004 2005 yeah, and all those and bands we all were aping Glassjaw, you know? Exactly. I mean, the, I mean, Hope's Fall was like, I remember listening to Hope's Fall in like 2002, dude. Like, our bass player is a giant Hope's Fall fan, and he, he was listening to that first record, like, before anybody knew who the hell Hope's Fall was. Just like Every Time I Die and Poison the Well. I mean, all these bands were doing what they're doing before, and they just, other bands picked up on it and made it bigger you know they never got that sort of recognition for it yeah and it's a huge shame you know it, we should live in a world that's different than that that people should get exactly you know but uh you know it is what it is i'm just happy to still have glass jaw i'm oh, happy absolutely. to still have uh hopes fall now recently you know those were bands that i really just thought were gone and then i get a i get a new glass jaw album you know last year and i get a new hopes fall album this year so it's like yeah when people ask me how it's going i'm like man it's going pretty good you know like, going good yeah the funny thing is both those records are still above everybody's heads oh my god yeah <laughs> yeah dude that that host fall record is is fucking killer like dude it, it and it's so far above and beyond what anybody's doing you know oh yeah so if you had a, a a final thought on Glassjaw, just one thing that you think you could sum the band up with, what would it be? 
if I had one final thought to sum up the band, I would say, um, you know, I, I would say, oh man, it's a hard one. But if I had to choose like words for it, it would definitely be pioneers. Just a, a pioneering band, a, a band that really pioneered a sound that would play out to make some of people's favorite other bands. And they just pioneered that, you know. To me, Glassjaw is the mashuga of post-hardcore and screamo kind of thing, you know, like that to me is, is what they are. They were just the pioneers of that sound. They they made that happen, you know? Absolutely. Um, if I had a final thought, I would say passion. Um, oh, dude. Glassjaw is the passion band. You know what I mean? Like they, they never, there was never a compromise made. There was never any kind of like restraint shown, Absolutely. like uh, you know, restraint that the restraint that couldn't be chalked up to maturity. You know what I'm saying? Like yep. obviously he became more restrained on the second album, but it was of his choosing. I don't think anybody stepped in and was like, "Hey, you need to calm the fuck down." You know, like no, you're right. And you're absolutely right. Like, that's the perfect way to describe it, 100%. What about you, Joe? What do you got? Oh, I'm here, too? You're still here, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we've just been fanboying out, man. Yeah. Hey, when two dudes are having a conversation about a band they like, you don't get in the middle of that. You just stand <laughs> there and watch it happen. I think Glassjaw is everything that people think they like about what became popular emo. It's raw emotion. It's intensity. It's good musicianship. There's a few bands that kind of cashed in on that thing, like the Mars Volta. Oh, absolutely. And there aren't a lot of bands that have as good of material as Glassjaw has in one album. But a lot of them tried. Yep. I like The Chariot. But The Chariot tried really hard to put out intense, energetic music. Norma Jean back in the day did the same thing. So I honestly don't know what Glassjaw did that was so good. Some of that might be that they only put out a few records, but I like the records that I have. And I love giving them to people that have never heard them because there are still those people that think Under Oath is emo. There are people that still think Coheed and Cambria are emo. And I'm not a fan of popular emo but I love giving somebody glass jaw and saying that's the closest thing to real emo that you'll probably ever listen to. <laughs> Enjoy yep. it. Nice. 100%. I, I agree with that, man. You guys are both right. I mean, on all fronts, it really was, you know, all of that. And then especially uncompromising. I think in and out of the studio, that band was uncompromising, you know, from, from the music that they wrote to how they've always run the band. You know, nobody's ever told them what they should or should not be doing they do it what they want to do and they are an emotional band just like you guys said i agree with that 100 percent. speaking of bands alfonso you have a new album our new our new record we have a new record that it's not out yet um it's done uh we just finished all the mixes on it and stuff um so now we're just getting the artwork prepped um you know we're, we're, we're a metal band and uh you know we don't make any any 
any bones about that. We love being a metal band and we're a heavy band. Um, we've always sort of made every record heavier and heavier. So this by far is definitely our heaviest record to date. And I know a lot of bands always say that, but we're really into heavy music and we love heavy music and we want to be heavier. Um, but at the same time, we also like bands like Glassjaw and Hope's Fall. So we have a lot of depth in the emotional and sort of things like that. So we made a record. Um, it's all done. We've got the artwork that we're doing and we're just really thinking about how we want it to be uh so the record comes out in january to kind of give us enough time to really lay all our cards out on the table and figure out how we want to proceed with the visual aspect of the record you know we're sort of working on all that so records out in january the the record will be out january 25th be out all all over you know all sorts of platforms right after know, my birthday on. perfect <laughs> right after a bass player's <laughs> birthday too yeah so it'll be out on all platforms um we have a cd release party that we're going to be doing in lansing our hometown uh it'll be the only cd release party that we do for the record uh in the michigan area and then we'll probably maybe do one more out of state maybe in tennessee or something where we we kind of it's like our second home so yeah man really excited about it it's, it's you know we're really stoked about the record that's awesome and i really want to throw out something that you said that i find really refreshing you said it on Facebook first, and then you you said it here too. You know, we're a heavy metal band. We are we like being a metal band, and like that's something that I find really refreshing because like since I started podcasting a couple of years ago, I've met a lot of dudes in bands. You know what I mean? And oh, it's absolutely. it's always like I always get this like prevailing like like we I talked to a dude after a show uh, one night uh, after a Zao show actually, and um, we actually. I'm talking to him about the podcast and, and trying to get him to come on or whatever. And like, he just played a heavy set with his heavy band and then is like, yeah, I'm not really that into metal. And <laughs> I remember just being like, what the fuck dude? Like, I mean, <laughs> like, cause like, and it was just one of those, like there, you get a lot of that, like cool guy image where it's like, well, I mean, I listen to more refined music. It's almost like they're yeah. ashamed of metal. I just feel like it's just so fucking pretentious to be like that. Oh yeah. You know, like, like we get it dude you're a musician like you know don't peg me to matt like but who gives a shit if that's what you do if that's what you'd like to do then fucking be you know then then be all about it and i think that you know the reason why i'm really adamant about saying like we're a metal band and we like being a fucking metal band and we listen to metal because that's really what we are like we never you know if we've never had any intention of being anything other than a metal band now are we a one-dimensional metal band i don't think so i think we have a lot of layers in between us you know we kind of try and get that out in every record that we've done some something here and there but at the end of the day we're, we're a heavy metal band and we're gonna want to make heavy records you know if i wanted to be in a fucking you know active rock band i'd go be in an active rock band and do things like nothing more and bad wolves and stuff and that's cool too there's nothing wrong with that but it's just i don't know what it is man it's, it's just so weird and i think it's it and like you said it's so prevalent in metal right now like well you know i'm you know i've got more layers to me than just metal like i really like i've been really getting into like bluegrass and it's like dude we fucking get it bro like you're a musician we understand yeah but, it's cool to like other styles of music like nobody's yeah nobody's yeah. jumping on your ass about that you know like it's just exactly but you chose to play metal so there's got to be some sort of you know like i do a metal podcast because i like i like pop music dude but i like metal the best so that's what absolutely. i talk about you know absolutely and i think to me that attitude as well really hurts 
metal and the scene in general because that's how we've gotten to a point where you know in the industry is like well you have to have a single and it has to have you know a hook and it has to have all this stuff and it's like or or maybe we can just make music that we really like and that is heavy and we can figure out how to make that popular as well and then so you get into this whole like every band sounds the same every band looks the same like how many bands can you name off of your head right now that have a band picture where they all have their arms crossed they're all wearing black and they're in a back, black background. I'll do you one better. I'll send you a picture of my band from years ago with us doing the same thing. You know, like, <laughs> it's it's, like I get it. Totally get it. You know? you know, and it's just like, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but it, it breeds a sort of idea in the listener's mind as well as the fan's minds. And then those who want to be in a band that they're like, no, we have to do this because this is what's going to get us big or popular and it should just be like no dude like we started this to have fun and just do this and like be a band and i get that there's business behind it but at the end of the day like it should be fun and it should be about hanging out with other people and inspiring other people no matter how you look or how you dress or what songs you make like who gives a shit it's metal man like look at slayer slayer fucking got huge playing death metal literally thrash death metal you know like if, if they can do that anyone can and I think that sitting there and going, well, you know, I don't really like metal. It's just a real subversive way to be like, well, I want to get bigger. So if I'm only in a metal band, I'm not going to make as much money. And that's not what it should be about. It should not be about that. You know, well, we didn't end up asking that dude to be on our podcast. You know what I mean? Like, it was, yeah. I was like, I don't want to I don't want to do it if he's not into it. Why would I, you know? Like, yeah, I don't like, want to I don't want to sit down and talk with a dude for an hour that doesn't want to be here. Or, or, or like you said it best with Glasser, who isn't passionate about talking about it, you know? Right. But yeah, man, uh, where can we, uh, where, where, not we, I know where to find you, but uh, <laughs> where, where where can our listeners uh, find you and find more info on Heartsick? You can go all over the internet, and if you just type in Heartsick Band for Facebook, for Twitter, for Instagram, for Reverb Nation, SoundCloud, all that stuff, all of us all of our stuff on any of those sites so use just facebook.com slash heartsick band you know twitter.com slash heartsick band instagram heartsick band and, and we're pretty active on all social media um we're not the most active sometimes on twitter but we try and keep up with it i do most of the uh the online social media stuff but definitely we're very active on facebook and instagram those would probably be the two best places to find us you know and then uh Re reverb nation we use that a lot we use that platform a lot so you can find us on all those three the easiest which is heartsick band very cool Dude, you have no idea. You definitely saved the day tonight. Oh, uh, dude, I'm so happy to talk about this. I love this stuff, man. I love talking music and, you know, people who love the music that I love and ta love talking about metal. Like, I'm all about that shit, dude. Well, for sure. It definitely it definitely helped us out, and we're glad that we had this talk because, man, it's it's going to sound good, you know? It's it's definitely awesome. going to sound like something we planned and not like something we just threw together at the last fucking minute, <laughs> you know? Well, I think I thank John for fucking be like, hey, and I'm like, fucking dude, let's just do it, man. I, yeah. I really enjoy this. And, and thank you for giving someone like me and my band the time of day because I know we're not, you know, we're not on the level of, of, of bands like Norma Jean or Glassjaw and stuff like that, but we're still up and coming, and it's cool that you would you would do that for bands like us because it, it i really think it sends a great message to other bands and other people who really believe in wanting to be in a band that you don't have to be at those heights right then and there to do something like this i think that that's really cool and to me 
that is really awesome and I really want to thank you from the bottom of our heart because that really that really makes it more more interesting and I think it makes it more influential and really more genuine you know that people can be like you don't have to be Corey Taylor to get on a podcast and and have a good conversation you don't have to be you know Terry Day who produces you know whatever you can be a band that's up and coming and you can be a musician that has you know a thought and an idea and converse with people who are used to talking to people like that and still make it a good thing so i really appreciate that we really thank you man yeah man anytime well hey rock a rock a heavy show for us tonight and uh we'll uh we'll keep in touch man we'll do something else soon for sure man thank you so much you guys have a great night yeah you too party on bye-bye bye party on guard party on win And on that note, this has been episode 81 of Discography Discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher. Visit DiscussMetal.com for all things Discography Discussion. And please, send questions and comments to DanAndJoeShow at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one at patreon.com forward slash discuss metal. We have some sweet perks. Thank you, Alfonso, for hanging out with us and talking about Glassjaw. We will see you in the future. You can find everything Heartsick online, but especially on major social media platforms, you can search for Heartsick Band. Cheers, sir. Hey.